Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Jonah? For the next four weeks, we're going to be going through this amazing book. And Jonah's in a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. And these 12 books are known as minor, not because they're not significant, but they're minor because of their size. The book of Jonah is only 48 verses. But in these 48 verses, they are jam-packed with truth. And unlike most of the prophetic books, which contain divine pronouncements and predictions about the future, the book of Jonah tells a story. And so a lot of us, while thinking of the book of Jonah, or probably when I even mentioned, hey, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, you thought of a great big fish. Well, Jonah is not a book about a great big fish. It's not a book about the Ninevites or Nineveh. It's not even a book about Jonah. It's a story about the life of Jonah, and he is probably the author, but the book of Jonah is about God. It's about a God who is full of mercy towards those who are least deserving and those that we would least expect. The book of Jonah reminds us of God's mercy towards sinners and his sovereignty over his people. And it is my hope that as we study this book for the next four weeks and we get to the end of it, we don't just go, we got another book under our belts, moving on. But it is my prayer that through the power of God's word and his spirit, that we are all changed. Like Jonah, we have all received a call to arise and proclaim a message, a message that we often keep to ourselves. I hope and pray that as we are reminded of our God who is both merciful and sovereign, that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with more boldness to those who are around us who are lost. And so let's get into the the book here. Let's read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake, amen. Amen. Well, there will be many points as we go along this, this story this morning, but in summary, I hope you see this specific point in the text, that God's sovereign mercy should lead his people to humble obedience. God's sovereign mercy should lead his people to humble obedience. The book begins with the call of God on Jonah's Life. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's amazing how one sentence, one moment, can change your life. And this is what happened to Jonah. In the Old Testament, the way that God revealed himself was through the prophets. They relayed to the people what God was saying and what God was going to do. And so this phrase, the word of the Lord came, is a common phrase that was used at the beginning of the books of the prophets. But as soon as the original readers got to verse 2, they would have realized that this book is not like the others. Up until this point, the prophets only have been sent to God's people, Israel. But here, Jonah is sent to the evil Gentile city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of the time. Located what is in now northern Iraq, this city was a wicked place. In fact, in the book of Nahum, God says through Nahum, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Behold, 
I am against you. And here in our text, God is enraged against this city because of their murder and because of their idolatry. God says that their evil has come up before him. And so God calls Jonah to this wicked city to call out against their evil. Jonah was a prophet of God. Do you know that this isn't the first time that Jonah's mentioned in the Old Testament? Jonah was a real historical person. He's mentioned back in 2 Kings chapter 14. He served as God's prophet during the reign of Jeroboam. And this was a very difficult time in Israel's history. But in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, it says, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Jonah was a faithful prophet who prophesied about God's grace, grace that was given to Israel when they did not deserve it. Jonah had a front row seat to God's mercy. But as the book of Jonah records, Jonah had much to learn about God's grace. And so do we. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word came with great clarity. There's no way that Jonah would have misunderstood what God is saying here. And God is sovereign, and he designs every detail of our lives for his eternal purposes. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God had a plan for Jonah, and the command to go was clear. This was Jonah's calling. But notice how Jonah responded to God's plan for his life. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God called Jonah to go. He said, arise and go to Nineveh. The command was super clear. But Jonah says no to God's word. Called to go east, Jonah goes west. Called to a journey over land, he goes to the sea. Called to a big city, he buys a one-way ticket to the end of the world. He goes to Joppa, which is a port city, and he looks for a ship that's sailing the furthest away from Nineveh. He finds a ship going to Tarshish, and so he pays the fare and he gets on the ship. Scholars have educated guesses on where Tarshish could have been, but no one is exactly sure, but most likely it was located off the coast of Spain across the Mediterranean Sea, the complete opposite direction from Nineveh. And did you notice there that the narrator repeated a couple different times, three different times that Jonah was headed to Tarshish and not to Nineveh? This is not the proper 
response of a prophet. When the Lord called the prophet Isaiah and gave him this vision, Isaiah's response was, here I am, send me. So why was Jonah fleeing from God? Was he afraid? Jonah had a successful ministry as a prophet. He had seen God at work and do miraculous things. And yet here with this word from the Lord, God's will and Jonah's came to a crash. Jonah had his own desires, his own plans and ambitions to fulfill. Jonah had his own concept of how things should be and how he should serve the Lord. It's possible that God was shining the spotlight of his word into an area of Jonah's life that struck a nerve. God had called Jonah to an enemy nation, to a people that Jonah didn't think deserved mercy or grace. So why did Jonah run? The answer is clarified in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah refuses to proclaim God's mercy to those he thinks don't deserve it. He says, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that God is gracious and that he was not just sending him to Nineveh only to announce pending judgment, but it was God's heart that they would actually repent. And this clashed with Jonah's worldview. This clashed with Jonah's opinions. Jonah wanted the full wrath of God to come down on Nineveh. But Jonah's real problem wasn't the Ninevites. It was God. And so he runs away from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah must have known that it's impossible to escape from the presence of the Lord. He must have known Psalm 139, where David writes, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the, in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is omnipresent. God is fully present everywhere at the same time, all the time. There's no place you can go to get away from God. And yet Jonah foolishly is determined to run from God. This is what we've been doing ever since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. What did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was fleeing from the felt presence of God, from the place of prayer, the place of service. He was fleeing from evangelism. Jonah had an assignment to reach lost people. His commission was to go and preach. And this is what every follower of Jesus Christ is called to do in the Great Commission. 
In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But unfortunately, the Great Commission has become the great omission in our day. God has not rescinded his commission to the church to go and proclaim the gospel. But we haven't gone. There's no excuse for our disobedience to the great commission. Yes, we must be sending and supporting missionaries and church planters, but they are not the only ones called to go. All of us who are in Christ are called to go. The word of the Lord has come to us, and God has told us to go, to arise and proclaim. And so my question to you this morning, are you running from that word? Are you running from that word? And the message of this text also applies to whatever personal commissions that the Lord has given you personally. It may be a call to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. It may be a call to personal holiness, to spiritual maturity, to be discipled. It may be a call to marital fidelity, to being faithful to your spouse, to integrity at your job, to serve in the church, to be a faithful steward. Jonah disobeys God's word, and he tries to get away from God's presence. And what we see here in Jonah's actions are the very description of sin at its core. This text warns us about those times when we know what to do, when we know what is right and we do the exact opposite. James 4.17 says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. To fail to obey the word of God is sin. In verse one, it says that the word of the Lord came. The coming of the word of the Lord was not unclear. It was not misunderstood. God says, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah didn't need a commentary or a Bible resource to understand this command from the Lord. And there are many times in our lives where God's word is clear, and yet we still don't obey. How many times have we run from God's word? Every time we sin. Every time we sin, we reject what God has spoken. And the ongoing presence of sin in our lives without repentance causes us to flee from the presence of the one who has no sin. God's presence is the greatest comfort to those who are walking with him. But to the disobedient, God's presence becomes like a wool sweater that you get for Christmas, stuffy and itchy, and you just want to throw it off. And so when a person runs from the presence of their Lord, 
their trajectory is downwards. Did you notice the wording there all throughout chapter 1? In verse 3, Jonah goes down to Joppa. He pays the fare, and he goes down into the ship. In verse 5, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And in verse 15, he's hurled down into the sea. God told Jonah to arise, but in his heart, Jonah went down. Jonah is backsliding. Down is the way of disobedience. Down is the way of sin. H.B. Charles Jr. says this, when you disobey God, there will be an inevitable downfall. You will either fail miserably or succeed miserably. We shouldn't be deceived by the things that seem to be going okay when we're not living according to God's word. When Jonah decided to run from God, everything kind of seemed to be going okay for him. He escaped to Joppa. He was there. Nothing happened. He found a ship going to Tarshish. The devil always has a ship waiting for us. He had the money to buy a ticket for a Mediterranean cruise. The ship sets sail on peaceful waters. And Jonah's down in the inner parts of the ship. And at this point, it may seem to Jonah, I got away with it. God's going to find a different prophet to go to Nineveh. I'm good. But in verse 4, our attention is shifted to the Lord. The Lord who hurls a storm so powerful that it threatens to break up the ship. We see the might and the power and the sovereignty of God in these verses. Our unwillingness to cooperate doesn't stop God. God pursues us while we're in our sin. This is the most gracious thing that God could do. In our sin, in our running from God, we deserve for God to just give up and leave us. God could have easily said to Jonah, Jonah, you've done it. You've disobeyed me, and because of that, you have forfeited your right to be my child. But that kind of response is only according to man-centered theology. God-centered theology is different. That's not the way that God operates. God pursues Jonah in his disobedience. Our God doesn't leave us in our sin. Our God meets us in our sin. And it's very clear that there is nowhere where Jonah can hide from the Lord. It's also very clear that God is the sovereign ruler of the world because he can hurl a storm and pinpoint a ship with just a word. And we know this because he actually made the sea and the land. The Lord causes this mighty storm, and the text says that the mariners are afraid and they cry out to their God. They hurl the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. These sailors are afraid this is not your normal storm. The ship is almost coming apart. And these mariners who have been through some storms before are freaking out. 
Raise your hand if you've ever experienced turbulence on an airplane before. You kind of look around to the people who are sitting next to you and you're like, all right, I'm gonna measure the way I should react by how you're reacting. But then you look at the, the, the flight attendant and, you, and they're like calm. They're fine, they're, they're pushing the cart down the aisle. Everything's okay, so it kind of gives you like some ease. But you know there's a problem when the flight attendant runs to their seat and starts screaming. And that's what's happening here. These experienced sailors are genuinely afraid and calling out to their gods. The wind is howling and water is coming in from everywhere. Their experience has taught them to make the ship lighter. So they're throwing the cargo off the ship. And as all this is going on, where's Jonah? Where's Jonah? He'd gone down into the inner part of the ship and was fast asleep. While the pagans were praying, Jonah's sleeping. Kind of ironic. How could this be? It's because sin is exhausting. Jonah was drained from running from God. Have you ever felt this way? I know I have. Scottish minister Hugh Martin says this, Jonah was sleeping the sleep of sorrow. Many of us know what this is. It's the desire to escape reality through sleep. Sin may seem exciting and pleasurable for a moment, but it quickly exhausts you, and you feel this heavy burden. Sin is blinding. Jonah doesn't hear the wind howling or the waves crashing or the experienced sailors crying out. He's fast asleep. But suddenly, his sleep is interrupted. The captain of the ship comes to him and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. How ironic is it that the captain of the ship, this pagan captain, is telling Jonah, the prophet of God, to pray. And these words spoken by the captain echo the words of God in verse 1. The word of the Lord came, arise, and then call out. The captain came and said, arise, call out. One of my favorite preachers, Sinclair Ferguson, says this. These words must have seemed to Jonah like a haunting echo from the past, exposing once more the guilt of his flight from God. God is pursuing Jonah by putting echoes of his own words on the lips of pagans. Do you see God's sovereignty and mercy in this? God could have just left Jonah to do his own thing, but he's pursuing them through the storm. He's pursuing them through the words of these pagan sailors. But Jonah remains silent. There's no evidence here that he actually even stopped to pray. And so the narrator re returns our attention to the sailors. The sailors then get to the point where they realize that this storm must be a judgment against someone on the ship. And so they cast lots. In verse 7, casting lots was the ancient equivalent of pulling straws. 
They cast lots superstitiously, but here God was in control. Proverbs 16, says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The existence of a sovereign God excludes the possibility of luck or fate or chance. God is in control. And so when they cast these lots, it went on Jonah. Jonah ends up with the short straw. The whole time Jonah knows, he knows that all this has happened because of his sin. He was the one running from God, but he's too stubborn to repent of his sin. Then a bunch of questions are thrown at Jonah all at once. Look at verse eight. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? These are probing questions. They ask, what is your occupation? This confronts Jonah and his disobedience. Jonah responds by saying, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah tells them something that they don't ask. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And it's interesting that Jonah says that he fears the Lord because true fear of the Lord leads to obedience to what God commands. And yet Jonah is doing the exact opposite. It doesn't matter what he claims to believe, his behavior is telling a different story. Here's a glimpse of the ironic providence of God. Jonah was on that ship because he didn't want to deliver the word of God to pagans. But Jonah is here telling pagans about the Lord who created the sea and the dry ground. Here is Jonah saying, I fear the Lord, yet not enough to obey his word. And here are pagan sailors who are beginning to actually fear this God. The men respond by saying, how could you do this? What a question. How could you do this? You know who the Lord is. You have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. You belong to the one who knew that you were on this ship and who sent a storm to get your attention. Why have you done this? Knowing who God is and what God can do, not to mention that all God has done for you. Why are you doing what you are doing? We need to ask ourselves the same things. Why would we run from God? Why are we running from God? Why are we rejecting his will when all that he has done is to show his love and mercy towards us? Look at verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. These sailors recognized that there was nothing they could do to get themselves out of this situation. They were caught in between the living God and his rebellious prophet. 
The fate of these sailors was dependent on what Jonah was going to choose to do next. Jonah could have said, you all are in this because I am in rebellion against God. God told me to go to Nineveh. I went in the opposite direction. None of us is going to survive this storm unless I repent and do what God commanded. So turn the ship around and take me to Nineveh. That's what Jonah could have said. But is that what Jonah said? Nope. Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. This was just another act of rebellion against God on Jonah's part. Yes, these sailors are saved because of Jonah's sacrifice But in telling the sailors to throw him overboard, Jonah was saying, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. The response of the sailors is shocking. They're more upright than Jonah. They don't want to be responsible for his death. They tried harder to row to land, but the storm only got worse. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. These men prayed to the Lord and then hurled Jonah off the ship just like they hurled off the cargo. And then the Lord who hurled the storm towards them ceased the storm. There's debate among commentators if these men were actually truly converted, but it's very interesting that they fear the Lord, they worship, and make vows to God after the danger had passed. Typically, we make vows while the danger is going on. God, if you get me out of this, I'm going to do this for you. And then when we get out of it, we forgot that we actually said that, and then we kind of go on living our own lives. But it looks like the storm has passed. The storm has ceased. The danger is gone, and these men fear the Lord exceedingly. They worship, and they make vows to God. This indicates that they were not seeking God for what he could do for them, but they are simply responding to how great and merciful he is. God worked around Jonah's hypocrisy and saved them anyway. And God is still able to do that today. Don't give up on that unbelieving child, that unbelieving spouse, the parent, sibling, coworker, classmate, God can reach them. He can do it through you, and he can do it without you. There's no obstacle to the plan of God and no limit of his power to save. It would have been a better testimony in this moment for Jonah to get on his knees and repent to say, forgive me, Lord, and ask the captain of the ship to head back to Joppa. And we often look at the bad testimony of Christians or Christian leaders and think, oh, 
The witness is lost. There's no hope. Here we have a prophet of God openly telling non-believers that he's in rebellion against God and is not showing any signs of repentance, and yet God still saves them. Yes, our testimony matters to a point, but nothing can stop the sovereign plan of God to save. Amen? All right, so in conclusion, we're meant to see the great God who sovereignly rules over all, the one who made the sea and the dry land. We should obey God. And if you are a Christian and you're trying to run away from God in some area of your life, you will never succeed. Yes, you can flee from your home. You can flee from Christian fellowship. You can flee from the church, but no one can flee from God. There's nowhere that you can run from God's presence. We are meant to see the clear contrast between Jonah and these sailors. The one who calls himself a Hebrew, who fears the Lord, is running from what God has called him to do. These sailors who begin calling out to foreign gods end up confessing the sovereign power of God and worship him. The story is meant to humble us. The people of God can act just as sinful as anyone else. The people of God can act just as sinful than anyone else. But at the same time, this story is meant to remind us that the God whom we serve delights to show mercy to all. He shows it to Jonah in his pursuit of him and to the pagan sailors. God is in the business of redeeming and working through broken, imperfect people, which we all are. And this book ultimately points to Jesus, who was obedient in all the places where Jonah was disobedient. When the command of the Lord came to Jesus, he obeyed perfectly by taking on human flesh and giving his life as a ransom for many. Unlike Jonah, Jesus did not turn away from the Lord's will because he considered the people unworthy of salvation. Instead, Jesus knew that we are all unworthy, but in his grace, he joyfully endured the agonies on the cross so that our wickedness might be atoned for and salvation would be accomplished. Jesus willingly stepped out of the boat into the sea of God's wrath so that he might deliver us from Satan, sin, and death. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. We all have rejected his word. We all have fled from his presence. But turn to God in faith and repentance. Praise the Lord Jesus, the greater and better Jonah. He has enabled us to repent of our sins and live lives in obedience to God, who has called us to go and preach the good news of the gospel. God's sovereign mercy should lead his people to humble obedience. Let's pray. 
Father, we're glad that your grace is greater than our sin. Forgive us for our backsliding, for our hearts that are prone to wander and leave the God that we love. We can never flee from your presence. Thank you for loving and pursuing us even while we are in sin, even while we reject your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to obey your word and fulfill the calling that you have placed on each of our lives. Like Jonah, we have received a call to arise and proclaim a message. Lord, we confess a message that we often keep to ourselves. We pray that as we remember that you are a God who is both merciful and sovereign, that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with more boldness to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.